to TEH, the Tech Enthusiast Hour podcast, where several hosts talk about the week's technology news. The show notes for this episode are at tehpodcast.com slash teh37. We have only two hosts this week. I'm Randy Cassingham, founder of thisistrue.com, the oldest entertainment newsletter on the internet, and the website spamprimer.com to help you fight spam. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig, and I do MacMost.com, where I post new tutorials pretty much every day for Apple users, and I also make mobile games, and you can find those at CleverMedia.com. So, so Randy, how's the uh, search for a new home coming? Well, we think we have a place to buy. Uh, we, we've got two that are kind of competing. One of them is in a better location, but costs a lot more. And the other one is uh, cheaper, but not as good of a location. But you know what they say, the top three things in real estate are? Location, location, location. That's it. So (laughs) the hard part though is, you know, we can't really afford two mortgages. So we need to sell the old house and at least, you know, not overlap very long. And, uh, we uh, ended up firing our real estate agent and uh, we're in the process of, uh, well, I've signed with a new one and he just doesn't have it up on uh, multiple listing yet. So uh, it's basically not being marketed, but if you want to see it, you can go to loghill.com and uh, get the information in case you ever wanted to you know, escape to rural Western Colorado where the mountains are beautiful. <laughs> yeah, you know, I a few years ago when I did my last move, I had that same problem. You know, the whole like you find a place, a new house, but you haven't sold your old house. So then you temporarily end up with the mortgage on the old house, the mortgage on the new house, and then this either a bridge loan or a second loan or some sort of other money source for the gap. So you end up with these three big loans all of a sudden and it's just it's like uh it's not a low stress situation you know you, no it's not yeah it's, so explain the gap I, i'm not sure i knew about that well no it's so for us it was a old-fashioned bridge loan which is how these things used to be done a lot but, but they've gone out of fashion it yes. turns out we it worked for us it was like because we, we talked to several different uh people, experts at lending and real estate, and they were all like, you know, bridge loans aren't used much, but your situation is perfect for it. So that's what we ended up doing. And we have a very good bank. So uh, they were all like, yeah, we could do a bridge loan. It does seem like it's perfect for you guys. So the the idea is that, you, you know, so you have this, your old house and we had our mortgage on that and we had equity. So we had, you know, a chunk of money that we should have gotten from the sale. Right. Then we get the new house, so we want to take the mortgage on that that's going to be about the same as the mortgage on the old house. In other words, kind of pick up where we left off. But the new house costs more than that, and you don't have that money from your sale yet. So where does that come from? So that's your third loan, your bridge loan Uh, or your home equity loan. And that's the one that's going to completely disappear. It's basically going to be all the cash that you expect to make from the sale of your first home. Um, And that one and your original mortgage disappear when you sell that house and then you just left with the, you know, the, the mortgage you should have when you get the new one. But until somebody buys and closes on your old house, you sit with these three big loans out there feeling extremely vulnerable. Yeah. It's not, uh, not pleasant. Well, if we're lucky and we play our cards right, we'll end up with no mortgage when we're all done. And I, I would think that would be attractive to a bank. You know, it's like we're, uh, you know, we're, we're not out on a limb here. We, we're going to be good. We just have to get that transition done. And of course, my brother, who's a real estate broker in California, said, yeah, the, what they won't like about that is they won't make much money in interest. So they'll probably charge yeah. a big loan fee. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, what they, all they really should care about, and I, and I think the good bankers do, is that there's enough equity there to back the loan. So right. you know, you've got your current mortgage and then you take this this other you know, loan out to get you the new house. But the idea is, you know, you've got these two properties. That was the thing for us. I kept saying, you know, okay, I do have these three big loans out, but technically I own two houses now too. 
right. which is a lot of equity in the Colorado real estate market. So, um, so it's, it's not like I just have these loans out and I don't have anything to say for them. You know, I've got, I've got two properties and, and you'll have, you know, you'll have more than that. So, you know, that's what the banks care about is, is if all goes South, can they get their money? And the answer would be, yes, it's, yeah, it's a no-brainer for them. So yeah, I'm not worried about it, but but it is stressful in the meantime. Just like you said. Yeah, that's good to hear, though. You got some possibilities because now your market is limited there in the Western Slope, and and uh, it's good to know that it's exciting to know that you've got some, uh, some real possibilities for for moving soon. So how about you? What are you uh, working on these days? Not much, you know. Like I said last week, I'm working on the uh, the iPad book for the 11th edition, and um, it's gone fairly smoothly because really there's not that much different for the iPad this year. Last year, with iOS 11, there were uh, some pretty big changes in the way things looked and worked on the iPad. It was like a big iPad update and they added some features and stuff, which means I had to really go over like every chapter and, and all that. Here I'm finding and things. And replace all the graphics too. Well, yeah, and I usually have to do all, all of that, but this time I'm looking and a lot of the stuff is the same. You know, it was like the iPad got attention last year. And so this year there's not much new for the iPad. So, so that's good. And then, you know, there's probably going to be new iPads out, but they will probably come out after my deadline. So that might be like an addendum or something. Um, We'll have to see, but it's gone pretty smoothly. Uh, And isn't there iOS 12 coming out soon? Yeah, that's, so that's what the book really, my schedule really is determined by iOS you know, and and you can predict pretty well that like Apple is, uh, you know, going to come out with the new version at the end of uh, probably the middle or the end of September. It's usually when it's released. Um, and of course, they announce these things at the Worldwide Developers Conference in June. So the betas come out. It follows a pretty predictable schedule, which is why I always update my books around this time every year using the beta. And um, it should go pretty pretty smoothly. So I'm looking forward to that. And then, and then I've got, you know, they're going to come out with a new Mac OS also at the same time. And I have courses that are on Mac OS. So I want to mm. update those. So there's a lot of that kind of thing going on, which, you know, updating or redoing courses and, and text, um, which isn't the most exciting work. <laughs> you know, I, I'd much rather create a new course than, you know, recreate an old course with like the new software. But, um, you know, it's that's just part of what I do. So I'll continue to work on it. The glamorous life yeah, of an entrepreneur. Exactly. So, so yeah. So that's really, and it's back to school too here. And uh, uh, so, yeah, that really, that transition from summer to school starting is, uh, is uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on that's not related to my work. Right. So, yeah. But, you know, it keeps you busy. Very busy, yeah. So let's dive into the tech. Yeah. Uh, we have actually talked about routers before, especially in episode uh, 26, what was it? Let me see. Yep, 26. But there's another story out that uh, is saying basically that routers can be a risk, especially Netgear, D-Link, and ZTE routers, which have a vulnerability that even if you just clicked on a, you know, a photo on a website or a, or some other kinds of links that it can actually send a command to your router and crack into it and take it over completely. Ouch. Now, I take this with a little grain of salt because this comes from a VPN company that's supposedly owned by a security researcher. And of course, part of his advice on how to not worry about your router being compromised is to use a VPN. So I take that with a grain of salt, but I think the bottom line is that if you have an older router, especially if you haven't updated its firmware, you need to pay attention to this because this is certainly a problem. And as we talked about in episode 26, this isn't the only virus that targets routers out there yeah it's uh, a lot of old routers out there that 
people aren't updating. I think, and I don't know what you think of this, like as advice for people, you know, if you've got a router or, you know, Wi-Fi hub or whatever, whatever boxes you have between the, the plug in your wall and your computers, um, if you were to Google like the name of it and update, you would probably end up at a page on their site giving you step-by-step instructions on how to how to right. update. And you know, there's so many, so many different companies that make these. I mean, if you think of the the ones that you get with your service from cable modems, DSLs, and you think of the ones you buy in the store, you know, there's so many different companies. So it's hard to give a one answer, you know, fits all for here's how you update or make sure your firmware is updated or make sure there's no vulnerabilities. But you know, Googling the obvious thing usually Usually yeah, get you the there. manufacturer, the model number, and yeah. the word update. Yes, update, absolutely. Yeah, firmware update. Maybe you know might take you there. You know, if you don't right away get to the manufacturer's page to how to do it, you're probably going to hit a couple articles that are linking to that, or you know, telling you the same instructions on how to go th- go through. It's probably just a couple steps, and it you know you press a you go to a p- web page probably. You know, you probably type a weird address. Uh, you know, with numbers in your browser, and then suddenly it says like D-Link, you know, Control Center or something like that, and then that's actually a little website hidden on your router, um, and then there's probably an update firmware button right there, and hopefully, and and hopefully it's as simple as just clicking the button, yeah, so that it goes and downloads it by itself. And installs it for you, and it it could go offline for like two or three minutes while it you know installs yeah. the new software and reboots, but it's worth it. So let's back up a little bit and talk about what kind of things do we care about as far as router security? Why do we care if somebody hacks into your router? And the number one thing is because they can see everything you do, perhaps even things like entering passwords on websites. Mm. Yep, and they could hide the fact that they're seeing that really well too. I mean, they're just basically taking control of your communication system. So, right. Um, yeah, there's a lot that can be done. Uh, and and you might say, hey, but I, you know, they're not going to see my my bank password because hey, that's all encrypted. Mm-hmm. Well, yes and no. They could also do what's called a man in the middle attack, and say. No, you're Wells Fargo. You know, it's not at this IP address. It's this other one over here in Russia or China Yeah, that looks a lot like it. And you go in there and you don't see any difference. You type in your username. You type in your password. It might ask you for a, a security question or something like that. And you type that in. And then it will say, oh, we're down for maintenance. Come back in an hour. And in the meantime, they've got all the information they need to log into your real bank account and transfer the money away. Yep, it's dangerous. Although, you know, the thing is, we always use examples like, you know, your bank account being broken into or something. Right. Well, I, I think, think it, that's what gets people's attention. It, it but, does. It does. Yeah, I, but I you've think, got some other examples. Go for it. Well, no, I think the thing that's happening seems to be most common. It's just simply breaking into your Facebook account for stupid reasons. And by stupid reasons, I mean, you know, breaking into it so they could spam your friends with a advertisements, <laughs> you know, um, I just see that happening a lot. I, yeah, I don't I do have too. a, I don't have a huge group of friends on Facebook. I mean, a few hundred family and friends and stuff. And I'd say in the last year, there's probably been four or five times where one of these people has suddenly sent a, what is totally an out of character message about something and usually followed a day or two later by the, Hey, d- disregard that, that I don't know wh- how that was sent. I think right. my Facebook account's been hacked. And it was probably by a weak password or something. But mm-hmm. it just it's amazing, I think, how many times I've seen that by actual people I actually know having that problem. But then I try to think, okay, does anybody actually know that had their bank account broken into? Hmm, seems to be rarer. Um, you know, and it's funny. Yeah, I'm not saying it's easy, but yeah. I'm saying this makes it easier. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but it's, uh, boy, it's... Uh, it's definitely a, a problem, I think, uh, having these. It, you, you need to maintain these devices, unfortunately. It's not as simple as letting them just, okay, I got it. It's working. Now I'm done with it for the next eight years. 
Well, it's just like, you know, Windows or Mac OS that occasionally, you know, you, for, for Windows, that's what I have, that you get the little pop-up on your screen saying Windows update uh, needs to update some, some stuff. Yeah. And you can do that, have it, just do it completely automatically. You can do what I do, which is notify me when you have an update. Uh, and the bad thing to do is turn it off completely. Probably a bad idea. Um, yeah. I, so I take that middle road, which is let me know when there's something and I'll review it and, uh, and I'll say, yes, go ahead when, when it's convenient to me. Right. And that's the main reason I don't, I just don't want it doing any kind of updates because I sometimes work weird hours and I don't want it doing that when I'm busy. Mm-hmm. So does Windows route, do that? I didn't, uh, cause I knew that was a complaint years ago. I heard from Windows users, it's like, do an update, like you're right in the middle of doing something. And then it's like, time for a Windows update. And you're like, but I... Yeah, and I think they, they fix that by okay. saying you can schedule when it checks. You know, you yeah. can do it at two in the morning. Well, I don't leave my computer on all night. Um, so, you know, it gets a little hinky sometimes. So, yeah, I, I just have it, you know, go ahead and download in the background if you really want to. But let me decide when to apply the patch. Right. So the real point here is that routers are also computers. They have operating systems. They have software in them. They need to be updated once in a while, especially when they find out that there's some kind of vulnerability or backdoor or other problem that makes them susceptible to malware or other attacks. So, yeah, they need to be updated regularly. Yep. And you may find out, that you don't need an update. You get there and it says your software or your form- firmware is up to date. And you could just say, great, that will help me sleep better at night. Well, you can say great unless yeah. there hasn't been an update in three or four or five or six years because they stopped supporting that old router oh, because yeah. guess what? It's got too many problems that they can't really fix by patching it. So that's the time to get a new router. And I dumped my old um, Linksys router uh, quite a while ago, actually, in part because it wasn't keeping up. I mean, it couldn't handle the the higher speeds these days. So if you think your internet connection is really slow because, hey, you're paying for a lot more, but the computer is really slow, the websites are really slow, it might be your router that just isn't keeping up. So if your router is several years old, it might be worthy of spending, you know, maybe 50, 100 bucks to get something newer and better that's still being supported that you can patch and keep it up to date. And if your your box is provided by your ISP, by your right. cable, then sometimes, you know, you can call them, especially if, you, if you're looking at one that's old, you could sometimes call them and say, you know, is there a newer box for me? And get a surprising answer where they say, oh, yes, yours is very old. We'll ship you a new one, and it doesn't cost you a penny. Sometimes you're paying a monthly fee for it. Right. And, and the amazing thing is you think, oh, well, wait, they would've, wouldn't they have called me and told me that no. mine? Nope. Mm-mm. They would let you sit there till, till that thing breaks and never tell you there's a new one. Um, but you call them and say, oh, God, we would have replaced that years ago if you had called us. Uh, and sometimes you get new features. Like some, sometimes if you have a really old one, it may not have Wi-Fi, and the new one may have Wi-Fi. Uh, and sometimes it's faster, and sometimes it has better range, and all this stuff. So, uh, or it might even have a phone jack in it for a VoIP phone line, so you can get rid of your expensive regular landline. Maybe, yeah, yeah. Now speaking, so of- it's worth checking if you haven't had a new router in the last several years. Yeah. So speaking of landlines, you know who doesn't have landlines? <laughs> Millennials. Millennials. <laughs> <laughs> and another thing they don't have, apparently, is their own Netflix accounts. <laughs> did, you, did you like that? Did you like that transition? That was a good transition. So, so, so this, tell me about that, Gary. Yeah, I thought this was interesting. This is like one of those, this should be news to know one thing. Um, MS, or CNBC had an article this week on their site that about um, password sharing 
And by password sharing, I mean uh, sharing of passwords to streaming services like Netflix and Hulu and such. Um, so what you've got is when you have a service like Netflix, you log on with your account on your on your TV box, you know, whether it's a Roku or Apple TV or, you know, Chrome box or whatever, and then you can watch Netflix. And that password then allows you to say, sign in on your living room TV and your bedroom TV and your basement TV. And or, your cell phone and your tablet. Yeah, exactly. Cell phone, tablet. And it's really not easy for them to know whether they're all really your devices or maybe somebody else's. So what people do is they do password sharing. They pay the $12 a month for Netflix and they let a friend also use their password. Or their kids. Yeah, or their kids that Especially maybe aren't living in college anymore. or something. Yeah. And, you know, the whole idea is that people that should have their own Netflix accounts don't because they simply share the passwords. And this, so this article talks about, they say, about 35% of millennials share passwords for streaming services. And Gen Xers, that's me, uh, 19%. Or baby boomer, boomers, that's me, 13%. 13%. So, you know, you can see it's something much more prevalent uh, you know, the younger you get, um, sometimes it is family. Sometimes it is people just saying, you know, you, you feel like you've paid, you know, according to the article, you feel like you've paid this and it really doesn't cost you anything extra to tell a friend, Oh, if you want to watch Netflix, just use my, my account. Um, because they can then stream it at home. It doesn't cost you anything extra. It doesn't degrade your service in any way. There is a limit on the number of devices you could sign into, but if you're not near that limit, it doesn't really matter. And then, of course, you get something of value from that. You get a, a kind of a friendship token. <laughs> you right. know, you've done something for a friend that's nice. Uh, I assume maybe some people are actually sharing the cost, right, you know, where they're actually, you know, splitting the payment on a single account. But I think most of, most of the time it's just something nice you do for a friend. Uh, it's easy to revoke because you could just change your password and now they're, they're out. Of course, they could change the password on you too, but I guess then you have the last laugh because it's tied to your email account. Um, and I think a another reason this happens is, you know, like you said, the family thing. And what happens is that Netflix and Hulu and such have been around long enough that kids have, you know, grown up with access to this, just like you and I grew up with access to free over-the-air television. Right, and then they go off to college, and of course, the parents are already probably helping them out to college anyway. So it doesn't make sense for them to say, "Oh, but you pay the twelve dollars for your own Netflix account." It's like, okay, keep using our password. Then they get out of college, and they're on their own, and it's like, "What? This isn't free. This has always been free for me. Why would I want to pay twelve dollars a month when the value of this has seemed to be free this whole time?" Um. It's tough. I, you know, even our generations, we dealt with it. Like I remember uh, things like health insurance and car insurance. You know, you're on your, your parents' plan, and then all of a sudden one day you're not, and you have to go and get your own. Uh, you know, so there's, there are things like that with, with younger people than me. They had probably family um, mobile phone plans, you know, where you get this like five phones for the family kind of thing. And then they continue to use this family phone. And then one day, suddenly, they've got to get their own phone plan. And it's kind of a shock to find out this thing that you took for granted now costs something. Right. And it really adds up. Uh, Hulu apparently loses around $1.5 billion, with a B, per year Wow! to password sharing. Now, I have seen articles about this in the past. And... Netflix doesn't seem to be really concerned about it. Um, they know that it's going on and, and they don't want to make it hard for their customers. And, you know, they're, they're actually kind of okay with you sharing it with your kids and stuff. Um, they're probably not particularly okay with you sharing it with friends and neighbors. But I think that part of the reason for this is that subscription fees are only part of what they get. When they are, um, well, I mean, they don't they don't have advertising, obviously, but I, I think it, part of it is they can show just huge viewer numbers, which helps attract 
talent to their self-produced shows. It helps them get uh, movies because, hey, they can show, we're going to have this many people watching your movie and you'll probably make this much out of your royalties. Mm -hmm. I I think it kind of helps them a little bit to keep their numbers really big. Yeah, it probably does. And I think some of them, I think Hulu does have advertising. I think there's two tiers. Right, there is. Yeah, there's the non-average. So so there's a little bit of that. Um, I think there's also the fact that it kind of acts as a trial subscription for them, right? Where right. it's like, okay, we know if we hold on to you as a viewer long enough, eventually you will start paying. And kicking you off now it may be too early, right? If you're in, say, in college or just after college and you really are like, you know, you're eating ramen for dinner and, you know, you're living with other people in a shared like apartment or whatever and you're going to go and say all of a sudden $12 a month for Netflix, you might have to pass, right? But they'd rather instead of you passing on it and not paying anything and then not watching it, keep you in the system and then maybe a year later when you get the promotion, you get the job and you move into your own place and then you say, okay, now I'll start paying for it on my own. Um, you know, that might be, it's a, it might act like that. It might be the best way. You know, they'd rather have you getting into their TV series and waiting for the next season than kind of going cold turkey, you know. It's kind of like a drug, right? The drug dealer wants to make sure that you keep you you know, you stay in it. They don't want you to get sober. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they'd rather, uh, they'd rather you potentially give them some money than get sober and then never give them anything. Right. So, um, which sounds a little bit like justification, um, language that, you know, when you really get down to it, it is stealing. Yes. But, you know, on the other hand, they're really not doing anything to discourage it. You know, a a very simple thing they could do is, hey, every year on your anniversary of service, you have to change your password. And they can send you email after email, making sure you see that it's coming up. It's going to happen Tuesday. Yeah. And, you know, they just force a password change on you. And then all these other people are locked out. That doesn't mean you can't share the new password with them. But at least you have a handle on, did the person I share it with, share it with somebody else who then shared it with somebody else. They could also use two-factor authentication uh, really effectively for this. So they really wanted to cut down on it. It would be annoying, but they could set up a system where um, every once in a while or after 60 days or 90 days per device, you get a little, you know, so I go to my Apple TV, I go to watch Orange is the New Black, I go to Netflix, and it's been like 60 days since I did this, and it says, oh, we just need this two-digit code from you. And I get a text message on my phone with the two-digit code. And I'm like, oh, okay, I enter that in, and it's confirmed. Now, if it's not me, if it's a friend I've shared the password with, they see that, and I get the code. So suddenly it's kind of a, hey, uh, you know, and Gary. it's a hassle you for code? you. It's a hassle, and it's, and it's a little bit of shaming on their part, right? They're, they're going to have to call you every 60 or 90 days saying, hey, I'm still bumming code. this. I'm still too cheap to get it on my own. So, you know, it it's probably something I bet you that would, it wouldn't eliminate it, but maybe that 35% would go down to like 25% or 30%. Maybe that it'll accelerate people's. I think it would cut it at least in half. And I think just changing the password once a year would cut it in half. They could also charge more. I know they, they are, I think they already charge like there's the different amounts you pay for Netflix and uh, I can't remember what the difference is, but one of those I think is number of devices. And I think there is like a five device limit or something on one. Yeah, of them. I think there's a, a device limit on. Come on, I'm trying to go to Netflix.com. Yeah. I, I mean, so, it wrong. And I, I think there's there's different tiers for um, different kinds of, um, you know, the. HD or Ultra HD or 4K, I think those cost more. Ah, oh, yeah, maybe um, that's the 4K. That's why I'm paying for the extra because I got right. The Ultra HD is only available if you pay the premium price, which is 14 bucks. Yep. 
Screens you can watch on at the same time. Basic is one screen, standard is two, and premium is four. So yeah, they're oh, they're so they're tightening things time. up. Okay, so that's, that's why at a time. So yeah. if if your friend watches at a different time than you do, then may not be a problem. Yeah. Okay. So I think they're doing it because I was going to suggest that maybe they do a, you know, um, some sort of thing where you can pay extra and you can share it, like make it legitimate, you know, because they have that for, say, um, for Apple Music, which an Apple Music may very shortly be coming Apple, I don't know, something where they actually have a TV, you know, a, a competitor to Netflix. Um, and, you know, matter of fact, that's definitely going to happen because Apple has already announced all these TV shows that they're working on. So at some point, Apple Music, the subscription is going to expand into more of a Netflix thing. And they have a family plan and a regular plan. And the regular plan, if I remember correctly, it's I think it's $10 a month. And for $15 a month, I can add several family members to it. Totally worth it if you just have two people. Um, and uh, so Netflix could have something similar if they don't already where they say, yeah, you can share this with a family member and they have their own separate account. So anyway, it's, it's interesting. I think it's a cultural thing, uh, you know, with younger people. As a matter of fact, there's a, even something in here that, that said the, an even younger demographic called post-millennials uh, are at a 42% password sharing rate. So, but there, of course, a lot of them are, in fact, not in the, you know, in the world yet. They're in college. Uh, so, or they're, you know, making pittances by yeah. on the gig economy, which they're not getting any, uh, any real salary or benefits. I don't know. You know, just thinking gig economy, I take a lot of Lyft and a lot of Ubers and I never, it's, I never see young people driving Ubers. I mean, I know there's an age limit, you know, on how old you have to be to, to actually drive Uber. So you couldn't be under 21 and maybe it's even 25. I don't know what it is, but, but it well, there's other gig economy things that yeah. don't involve driving, but yeah, I get yeah. your point. Yeah. It seems to be the most well-known one. It seems to be people my age that are doing it as, you know, spare cash or um, filling in the, the gap between jobs or something like that. Well, speaking of Netflix, you had yes. another little news item about them. Yeah. So this is interesting. So they, deleted all of their user reviews now which has been in there since the beginning right yeah except a lot of you may be saying netflix has user reviews <laughs> because here's the thing the netflix user reviews are on your computer only so when netflix started streaming right there was that whole big time when netflix was this you know dvd delivery service to your you know uh through the mail and then they were crazy and started delivering uh, in doing streaming, right? And everybody thought that was just ridiculous. Uh, most, most of all, I think Blockbuster thought that was ridiculous. And we all know what happened <laughs> right. in the end. But when they started, it was only on the computer, which was the weird thing. And there you could probably find articles and blog posts from back then that people said, Netflix is doomed to failure. Nobody wants to sit and watch movies on their computer. <laughs> and uh, clearly people didn't see the big picture and Netflix did. Uh, but when things were on the computer, it made sense that you could type a review of a movie or TV show. Uh, and they kept that all the way till last month, um, where if you were watching on your computer or browsing Netflix on your computer, there were user reviews and you could leave user reviews. But they never brought that into the apps or to the TV boxes. So as Netflix kind of became this thing that almost everybody watches on a TV box or app, um, the user reviews kind of got forgotten. But uh, they did actually have a thing where for a while you could actually see the number of stars and maybe I think you could read a couple of their user reviews on the TV, but you couldn't write them, of course, because it was kind of hard with the remote. And then they got rid of that and went to a thumbs up, thumbs down system. And the the whole idea being that they would then try to figure out who you were and who other people were and match content. So now you don't get like a star rating on Netflix. You get a 89% match for this show. So you see a show and it says mm. 89% match to you based on what you've watched. And what you've put thumbs up on. Exactly. Or yeah. So that 
and you know, that's, you know, it's kind of interesting. I do see shows every once in a while. I flip through and I see something I've never heard of before. And it says 99% match. And I say, well, what is this? And I watch the preview or read the description and say, yeah, actually, <laughs> I can see why that's a 99% match. That's exactly the type of show I watch. Um, so there's that. But anyway, they got rid of the user reviews. They just decided, well, nobody's using them anymore. We're not taking them anymore. And they deleted them. They're gone. And, you know, it's kind of satisfying to hear that because user reviews are just, there's a lot of problems. The problems Netflix was having specifically is they were getting trolls that were actually downvoting shows. Um, most notably, there was an Amy Schumer um, comedy special from, I think it was earlier this year, or late last year. And uh, she was given a ton of one-star reviews by people that never watched the show that basically were motivated by a political site that didn't agree with her politics and told all the fans of this, whatever it was, a blog or radio show or whatever, to go in and give her one-star reviews of this show and call her all sorts of nasty things. And then you would see that, you know, her show was like really lowly rated and it was all these trolls. And so that's, that's a problem. And that's been a problem for reviews. I mean, whether it's Yelp for restaurant reviews or Amazon for book reviews, there are product reviews, yeah, product, fake reviews everywhere, both positive and negative, right? Amazon has the problem where there's positive reviews that are fake junk products. yeah. Yeah. Junk products. And they have the problem where there's negative reviews, um, you know, or reviews that are just horrible reviews. I like, I always use an example, you know, my, my wife and I a long time ago now used to own a bookstore. And, uh, so she would sell online on Amazon, right? So there'd be one of those used booksellers selling through Amazon and she once got a, a one-star review, um, for her store because the person didn't like the book. <laughs> they bought a book, you know, whatever, some novel, they didn't like the book and they and so they blamed her door saying that, you know, and they just obviously had no idea what they were doing in terms. Of, so she was stuck with this one star review saying that the plot was not very good. And the, she, they didn't like the characters. And it's like, how was this a review of the store? Um, so there's that kind of thing everywhere. Uh, and then there's definitely trolls and restaurants. I know have tons of trouble with this and I see it. I you know. So I just got back from this trip. Um, where and when you're on a trip you do a lot of looking on yelp and TripAdvisor for reviews because you end up someplace where there are tons of restaurants and you want to know what's good right i've got four dinners in prague four times i have the chances i have to eat a nice dinner in prague there are you know 400 restaurants near me how can i best optimize my dining experience in prague so let me go and look on yelp and look on TripAdvisor, and you do that a lot and you start to see weird patterns when you look at lots of reviews. You see reviews that just don't make sense. You see reviews that, uh, you know, just seem to be the same as maybe a review you read somewhere else for another restaurant at another time, like somebody was using a template. You see just things that go completely against what other people were saying about the same restaurant. It's very suspicious after you start to really look at all the data you know, just by going through and looking at, I must have read hundreds and hundreds of reviews during the two, you know, two and a half weeks of that trip, trying to find places to eat. And you start to see weird patterns. Um, I would see years ago, I went to Paris and I looked at tons of reviews for the same reason. And I started to see mentions of uh, cockroaches uh, in the kitchens. And it started to seem really suspicious, especially since I went to some of these places anyway, and they seemed so clean and it almost seemed like that was some sort of thing that somebody was doing specifically to, you, you wonder know, if it was the competitor down the yeah. street that was, uh, at, at, one, at one point somebody described a bakery I went to, uh, and, you know, and said there were cockroaches, but the description of the bakery was nothing like what the bakery was. They were like peek behind the doors to the kitchen and you'll see. And it was like, it's the bakery is an open space bakery where they're actually baking the stuff. Like the there is no door to the kitchen. There's yeah. no door to the kitchen. You're in, you, the whole idea is you go in and you're in the kitchen and they're making the stuff right there. And so, and that's like 
the, the, the bakery's thing. So just to actually even include the concept of a door to the kitchen in the review told me that person's never been there. Um, it's really weird. It, so, so I wonder if this kind of points to, I mean, there's a lot of scams going on, both with negative and positive reviews, as you said. I wonder if this is kind of like the beginning of the end for the review system. I, I don't necessarily trust reviews. Like when I go to Amazon and I'm looking at a product, if it's got five stars but only you know 10 or 12 reviews, I'm suspicious right there. If there's like 4,000 reviews and it gets four and a half stars, then I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I, it, you know, a lot of people, and myself included, think all the time about how can user reviews be improved. It's a tough one. It's yeah, really it is. Tough. I mean, you could go back to the days of professional reviews, but, um, you know, that's that's hard to do. They still have them, right? I was, I was just seeing the other day something about Michelin, you know, the Michelin stars on restaurants and stuff. Mm-hmm. And now that's still, a, you know, there's still like, hundred or so employed Michelin restaurant reviewers and you know, they get paid money to go and review restaurants and it's all in secret and there's this whole system. Um, so there's still some of that. Uh, I used to do restaurant reviews in college at my college newspaper in the, in the late eighties. And I remember the system was, uh, I did it both myself as a writer and then as editor of the section, I would set people up for reviews and the system was that um, the reviewer wouldn't reveal who they were to the restaurant until the end of the meal. And so I would call ahead and say, we'd like to do a restaurant review. You know, do you, you know, do you agree to comp the reviewer and the, okay. And then I would say, okay, at some point this week, a reviewer will visit your restaurant and they will bring with them this ID card or whatever. And then you could go get the whole meal all delivered, everything fine. Then when you got presented with the bill and you were done, you would identify yourself as the reviewer with this card or whatever we had. And, uh, and that's the way you could do it and be like a professional review of a restaurant. But, uh, and then I think a lot of places probably just pay for the meals. They never identify themselves. You know, they go, right. they pay, they I'm leave. sure Michelin doesn't. Yeah. And so it's, it's, you know, which is tough to do when you're like, yeah, if your job is reviewing restaurants and you're told you got to eat out seven nights a week at, at nice places and pay, but or the newspaper's got to pay or whatever. But uh, the newspaper's cutting back on writers and stuff. I just don't know if there's that many newspapers doing restaurant reviews anymore. It's, uh, yeah. But I, I'm, I'm still wondering if the kind of reviews that Amazon has and that, Obviously, Netflix has has really simplified things. I I used to do the five-star things on Netflix when I watched something. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually dropped my account a while ago, so I I didn't see the change. But they've even changed that to just thumbs up, thumbs down. So I I don't know. I, I, I think people are starting to realize that a lot of these review systems are totally gamed, and they don't trust them anymore anyway. Yep. I, I, uh, you know, when Amazon has an interesting thing that they've done now, you know, they've been doing it for years, but they have the question and answer section mm-hmm. on the product page, which I find to be far more useful than the reviews because usually I'm looking f- through reviews for specific things. And a lot of times those are in the question and answer section. You still find a lot of clueless answers there. Like there'll be a question, um, is this compatible? Is this lens compatible with my camera? And then the answer one person will give is, I haven't received the lens yet, but I'll let you know. Or, actually, that's a, that's a bad example. Uh, God, I can't come up with a good example. It's just somebody just giving an answer, like almost like they were given the question and they feel compelled to answer even though they don't have it. Oh, I know. Like One will be like uh, uh, you know, accessory. Oh, does this work for the iPhone? And they'd be like, I don't know. I have a Samsung and it works for that. It's like, well, you didn't have an answer for the question. Don't you don't need to answer? <laughs> yeah, don't answer if you don't but, have the answer. But I think there's probably some confusion on their part of that they feel they were supposed to answer for some reason. Maybe they got an email from Amazon saying, "Yeah, I've had those emails." And, yeah, and I <clears throat> mostly have ignored them, and they've stopped sending them to me. Huh. But you know, one thing I don't 
do Amazon reviews anymore because I occasionally read about somebody getting banned from Amazon because they were suspected of doing paid reviews, which is, mm. you know, forbidden on Amazon. I don't even want to take a chance that I'm going to be banned from Amazon because I put in a re- review for something because there's nobody really to talk to and appeal to. You're just stuck. And when you live in a rural area, you need that delivery. Wow. I wonder if they realize that that is a problem because now that you said that to me, I don't, <laughs> I'm not going to do any more Amazon reviews. Not that I have done very many in the past, uh, not good ones anyway. And I don't think the couple of nasty ones I've done would qualify me as somebody that's a paid reviewer. But just knowing that now, it's like I'm not even going to consider doing a good review. Yeah, just Google uh, banned by Amazon and you can see a bunch of horror stories. Wow, that's that's interesting. That's my biggest takeaway from this hour right now. <laughs> say that is there is a there is a valid reason for not just not reviewing. Besides, you know, you're just spending your time and not getting anything back for it. Um, there's a good reason not to leave reviews on Amazon. Yeah, I I, I so, certainly don't trust reviews. You know, like I used to. I look for bits of information in them, and sometimes I actually look for them just to see what you know, what junk is in there just out of morbid curiosity uh, to see what people complain about. When I, when I was in Europe, one thing that is for sure for every uh, restaurant I would go to, if I looked on Yelp, which and the, the reviewers were primarily Americans, right? I, I don't know if it's because my language settings are set to English or whatever. Uh, same thing for TripAdvisor. I don't know if it's something to do with my language settings or country settings, but most reviews, are by Americans. Number one thing that all restaurants had in common was poor service. And I just feel like strangling those reviewers saying, it's just different. <laughs> it's Europe. It's not the same type of system that is in the US or Canada where people are really cheerful. You know, and, and they're probably in a country that they don't tip either because they yeah. actually pay their wait staff proper wages. Yeah, and it's it's just a very different thing. Oh, and there's timing, you know, like I, I think I talked, did I talk about this last week? I think I did. Um, you know, the timing of just like, you know, like we waited forever for our waiter and then we waited forever to get our food and we waited forever to get the bill. And it's just it's just a different experience in um, where we're, oh, in Italy, in Venice, you know, one of the things I read from somebody who knew what they were talking about is that, you know, it's considered rude at many places and nice restaurants to even think about bringing you the bill or asking you if you're ready for the bill. You know, it's, they wait for you to ask yeah. you to ask, or if you want to, if your idea was to come here and have dinner and then order some coffee, order some drinks and sit and enjoy where you are for the rest of the evening until they close. That's great. Whereas in the United States, it would be considered rude to do that. You go to a restaurant at seven o'clock and you're done by eight thirty. Be considered Get out. rude. They need the yeah, table. Yeah, they need the table, and and it's kind of the opposite in some places in the world to to do that. Um, so you know, it, but if you don't understand that, I I could see you writing a review saying we waited forever. So somebody actually wrote, it took more than two hours for us to eat dinner because everything was so slow. And it's like, it's, <laughs> you're in Venice. It's supposed to take more than two hours for you to eat dinner. Sit back, relax, and enjoy your Italian dinner in Italy. You know, Don't be in such a rush to do Have whatever it is. Have a glass of wine and chill. Exactly. Have a glass of wine. Order something else. Chat. Talk. You know, Relax. Uh, and if you don't want to, that's fine. Ask politely for the bill and, and then go, but then don't go and review it and say, I can't believe we had to just wait forever and finally had to ask for the bill. Anyway. Well, speaking of Amazon. Yes. I'm going to do it. A Gary like transition here. Um, St. Louis university has gotten in with Amazon to put echoes in every living space on campus both the dorms and any campus apartments. Uh, It says 2,300 Echo Dots, so they're going to have them everywhere. Although, I wonder about that because I looked it up. St. Louis University has 13,500 students. 
2300 is not a lot to go around. So I don't know if they're really packed in like eight to a room or something, or if this is just kind of like, you know, in the, the shared kitchen areas, the shared dining areas, the shared TV areas, et cetera. Well, it could be that, I mean, you know, most seniors and juniors, a lot of them may live off campus and in apartments. And That's so, possible too. Just yeah. thinking of the, just the people living in dorms. So, but it's, they're, they're custom programmed and they, they're not going to uh, keep recordings. They're not going to identify who you are so they can track you. But it's things like, hey, uh, Echo, what time does the library close tonight? Or where, where's the registrar's office? That's a couple of the examples. They've got about 100 questions that are specific to the university to kind of help students around. So, yeah, you might be right. It might be for the underclassmen. Yeah. It, you know, it's a weird – it's weird. Well, first of all, not having the personal aspect to it, I think – that's one of the most valuable things. Not that I'm suggesting at all that they should have that turned on. Right. You know? But, you know, an echo that doesn't know who you are, that doesn't allow you to go and say, you know, buy laundry detergent or something, you know, and then just automatically add that to your shopping list. There's, you're kind of missing, I think, the main point of the whole thing. But then it's just a weird feeling. I'm the last guy. I'm, I've got, you know, echoes and I've got, uh, you know, uh, several different <laughs> listening devices here. You know, the Apple. Yeah, like you, you're, you're avoiding Fox. saying the A word. Yeah. And I've got one here in my office. <laughs> the, so, you know, I'm all for, I'm not, I, I feel I'm in the opposite of paranoid about this stuff, but just something weird about walking through a dorm and like every room's got one of these things in there. And all you have to do is say the A word or mention, as I, I like to say, mention her name as if she's a deity or something. Mention right. her name and and then all these things would be listening. It just feels feels weird and feels kind of big brothery. And again, I didn't think I could actually go there. I I, I thought it was the opposite. This this finally crosses the line for me and feels kind of strange. Um, well, that's interesting because you're okay with it in your house and recording yeah. you and knowing who you are and you know connecting the dots. But this is completely uh, anonymous on campus. I, I don't know. It just something about, you know, I picture myself in the dorm, living in the dorm and just having this feeling as like, like, okay, maybe I've turned mine off, but my roommate's is on and next door it's on. And in the, the, the little lounge, just a couple doors down from me, it's on and they're everywhere. And anytime I walk over into somebody else's room, for whatever reason, there's these echoes that are listening and, you know, it's just, it's just kind of weird. And there's something weird about, like, you think of Star Trek, right, in the whole thing where you talk to the computer, right? And we're actually getting closer to that now. But the, the idea that there was one computer, you didn't you get that, you know, feeling like with Star Trek or something where there was like this one, the ship's computer. Right, there is they were one computer in one the Enterprise. Entity. That's it. And the idea that there's these multiple echoes all over the place. I don't know. It just feels, it just feels weird. And, and plus I don't see much of a point. If they, they give some examples of like asking things, some questions they had that like, uh, you know, about, you know, what time does the library close? That kind of thing. Right. It's like, do you, did they really need to install the echoes for that? I mean, every, everybody I assume has a computer and a cell phone. How hard is it to find out when the library closes? Um, you know, how much is it really saving everybody to be able to just ask that question out loud? Uh, it's it's uh, kind of weird. Anyway, how do you, I mean, it doesn't feel weird to you? It just... Uh, no, because, I mean, they they got out, out front of the the privacy thing by saying, you know, it's not going to know who you are. It's not going to, we're not going to keep any recordings. It's being managed by... Uh, Amazon, a word for business. <laughs> her name. For business. Yeah, she's yeah. listening back there. She's listening everywhere. See, we have that situation here, and now I'm starting to get creeped out. Um, <laughs> and they are branded with, with the university's logo on it, which is, I think is kind of cool, which means, you know, you can't steal it and take it home and use it at home yeah. because it's 
serial numbered for the university, you're not going to be able to use it if you swipe it. It's probably, they're not worth it. I mean, they're probably really only 10 bucks a piece when you're buying in that quantity. Right. You know, and it's, the the only thing I can think of that's probably good is this might be one of those situations where they said, what if, what if we put 3000 of these things throughout our living quarters, turned off the personalization, just had them available and people could just ask questions. What's going to happen? You know, they're going to get hacked. Well, no, but what's <laughs> what, what interesting uses will people come up with for these? Like there might be some unexpected ways, you know, has anybody ever done this before? Like right away I was thinking, uh, you know, I use mine to do math a lot. Um, you know, it's really easy instead of bringing up another window in your computer to actually just ask the math question out loud. Uh, and all of these assistants are great at giving you an answer to a math question, uh, math question or a, co- a conversion of some sort, you know, ounces to cups or, uh, yeah, we have one in the kitchen. To, yeah. It's, they're great for bits and pieces and sometimes just some general facts, you know, when is sun up, you know, when sundown, that kind of thing. And so maybe they'll be used a lot for that. Uh, or maybe they will come up with completely unique ways to use it, especially if students, maybe the computer science students at the school can actually access the skills and maybe those classes, they could come up with. Well, it's funny you should say that because you said, has ever done this before? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Arizona State University did 1,600 of them, but only for the engineering students. And part of the deal was they got the skills kit so they can work on doing their own skills and learn about verbal interfaces, which I thought was kind of cool. And they did that about yeah. a year ago. This, like this uh, article is from August of 17. I could see, it, you know, so the, if the personalization has gone from each one, I, I hope that there's some still some sort of way of identifying each one, like maybe by room number or each one maybe has its own number on it. Um, Cause then you could come up with some interesting things, you know, where you could actually commute, you know, use them as intercoms, uh, use them to play maybe interesting games throughout a dorm, you know, where, you know, a dozen or so of people in different places can actually somehow communicate through some sort of novel game like interface. Uh, since you can just talk to them. Um, I, I don't know. I, it'd be interesting to see if they could use for communication, if they could replace phones. Not that I think that there are any landline phones in dorms anymore. I don't know if there are or not. But, uh, you know, if they could replace phones, right, if each one had it, their room number and, you know, hall A, room 302, and you could actually say, you know, call, you know, room 305. And it actually was used as a as a phone to call, and then you could actually say call room three hundred five, three hundred seven, and three hundred nine, <laughs> and be on a mm. group chat. You know, and you could be homework help. Uh, be interesting if you could say, uh, you know, uh, I need help on the calc final, um, and somehow there sets up a room. What's and, the What's the formula for escape velocity? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, if you could do a study group, you know, say, okay, I'm going to create a room, a virtual room for study tonight for the calc final. And it'll be, and all you have to do is say, sign me into room, whatever. Man, you're lazy, Gary. You're supposed to go to the library with the group and get together in a conference room and do it. I guess. But this allows you to, (laughs) this would allow a larger group, like say if there are 20 students and the idea is people wanted to, come in and out. So it was open all night, six hours. This thing was open. And at any given time, maybe there's only four or five students in there, but you get stuck on something. You suddenly log into this, this group chat. Somebody else is there that says, Oh yeah, no, I know that one. And they give you some advice and you're like, great, I'm going to get back to studying on my own, you know, and then you log out. I don't know. Just some ideas. But that would be kind of neat having the virtual rooms and, and conferences like that. But but it, all, the only way that stuff happens, I think, maybe is if they experiment. So if they they say, let's do it, let's put thirty two hundred of them in rooms and see what happens. Uh, maybe some of this stuff or some stuff we can't even imagine will actually happen, and 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 some good will come of it. 
I think that's a good point. And uh, although, you know, thinking about group chats, they probably sound like this. They're way far away. What'd you say? <laughs> it's, it's true, but maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. So, you know, maybe that would tell Amazon that they need to boost up the voice processing so it sounds better even if you're not right next to the thing. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Hmm. Oh, well. Well, we'll see. We'll check back in a year and see how that went. <laughs> Let's do that. Okay. In episode, you know, 142 or something. Exactly. So. All right. Cool. So you, you think that's a good place to wrap? That's a good place to wrap. Well, you got anything exciting going on this week beyond? No, I got to take uh, new pictures of the house because yeah. uh, the agent that took the previous ones, you know, not really kosher to use hers. So uh, yeah. I'm going to get out there with my camera and, and do my own. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, it's always fun. <laughs> Taking pictures of your own house for so you can sell it. Been there. Um, Done that. Yep. I got, I got nothing nothing too exciting going on this week. Just continuing to move ahead with my my projects and such. So, so yeah, that's it. All right, let's wrap it up. The show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh37. We'll have links to all the stories we talked about. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Tweet, tweet at us at the TEH Podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again here next Tuesday with maybe more hosts. Bye. Bye.